This is Purple Radio On Demand. Welcome to the Under One Sky podcast, a podcast exploring the biggest story of homelessness as we seek to bring together humanity in the recognition that we are all alike, just for some people, the right things in their lives have gone wrong. This is a podcast that hopes to wash people's glasses clean, to look beyond the common misconceptions found in society about homelessness, as we seek to change the narrative surrounding homelessness and bring to light the worth and value of the friends we've met on the street. Each episode is going to have a different guest. They could be experts in their field, or they could be people like you and me. But what we're hoping to do is get a different perspective and approach the issue of homelessness from lots of different angles. There are so many ways to address the dynamic and complex issue, and we want to hear them. We want to be informed about the reality of homelessness and not just speculate. I'm Ollie, and this week I'll be talking to the founder of Under One Sky, Mikael Jewel Iverson a film producer who describes the charity as a startup on speed. I'll also be talking to Ross Plowman, one of the co-founders of the Under One Sky Durham branch, a new student initiative of the charity. I hope you enjoy. Let's get at it. Great. So welcome, guys. Thanks for joining on the podcast. Exciting that we're getting to do it after a while. Um, how are you guys doing? Very good, thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me. No, no worries. Um, so today we're kind of talking about um, the introduction to Under One Sky, what we're about, um, me- making people aware of the charity. Um, but I suppose, firstly, most people listening have never heard of Under One Sky. Um, it sounds like three random words glued together. Um, so could one of you, both of you, provide some clarity? Um, I mean, what is Under One Sky? What do we do? So Under One Sky is a community-focused charity. We really started out back in 2012 as a just a, a handful of people who went out to do, do something for one Christmas on the streets. And uh, to be honest with you, there was never an intention of carrying that on beyond that, that, that one Christmas. So the way Under One Sky became was really through popular demand. Uh, and when we did that first walk, it didn't. It wasn't named Under One Sky. Um, so, the story behind behind the name, just to quickly give you that anecdote, is actually um, after that first walk, uh, I shared uh, some stories from the streets on social media, and a lot of people came back and said, "Hey, you have to do this next year because I wanted I want to join you." So I was thinking, okay, well now we need to call this something to actually be able to you know bring people in. Um, and at the time I had a film production company and I'd actually put out a uh, competition to some graphic designers to create a t-shirt for the company. Nice. Uh, and one uh, graphic designer had come back with a t-shirt saying under one sky and a logo. So I looked at that and thought, well, that's great. It's a perfect name for what, what, what we want to do and what we stand for. So I'm just going to. Why are we drawn to that? What, what was it in the name that? Made you think that's a, that's fitting. So the really the the core principle behind under one sky is the idea that humanity is one family. Mm. So we wanted to create a an organization where everyone was welcome, and where you were you know colorblind in every in every sense of the word. 
um, because there's a lot of organizations that might be related to a certain faith or something else. And it was really, uh, you know, an, a, an ambition to try to say, okay, let's try to create, create a microcosm of the society that we want to live in. And, and yeah. for me, that's a, that's, a, that's a society where everyone's appreciated as a human being. So, um, and, and so thinking under one skies and we, we're all sharing that humanity, all sharing that one sky almost. Absolutely. Um, it's pretty simple. So, exactly. It, we all powerful. come from the same place. Yeah. And one of the sayings that we have in under one sky is that the, the sky belongs to no one and everyone because um, it's the, the, part of the idea with under one sky was also to create an egoless organization. Sure. an organization where everyone has a voice and everyone's appreciated awesome and you talked a little about walks and you know ross that's how you got involved with under one sky in london um you know tell a bit about your story about how you got involved with the charity uh well it first started out on christmas uh 2020 and uh my mom was doing a walk to help street connected friends uh and i did join her uh but it was she showed me pictures and told me about her experience and I thought that would actually be something I'm interested in doing. So come January, 2021, um, I was at home from university because of the virus. And so I started volunteering. I would finish work at, you know, 5 PM, would run home, kind of have a little snack and then quickly go to Waterloo. Um, and what did you find when you were in the walks? I mean, what struck me most was just how many people were on the streets. Um, you see the occasional person when you walk past the tube station, but when you're doing these systematic walks and uh, our team leader had the route and stuff, we met countless people. We'd run out of supplies every time. And the, one of the first times I went with my friend Cassia, we ended up saying goodbye to the rest of the team. We just sat down with... Um, one of our friends on the street and chatted with him for over an hour about his experience and you know, everyone has a story to tell and that's what you know surprised me the most and so Mikhail and Ross like would I be right in thinking that the walks are all you guys do or is there a bit more to it so the the walks is where it started and um sure I think the example that Ross just gave actually beautifully explains the spirit of the walks because the idea with under one sky is, is is really to sort of unlock the power of human connection it's mm. not about giving it's not about giving stuff out uh you know that is also important but that kind of comes part and parcel of 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 that that engagement so it, it's really it's not a it's not a transactional thing this is about building relationships yeah sure and so um yeah, so that's where Under One Sky started. Uh, but as things have evolved, we now really look at three levels in terms of how we operate. Mm -hmm. um, one level is what we call sort of shifting public opinion, changing the changing the narrative. And that's what we're doing in this. Exactly. It's the whole part part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So that and and part of that is 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 advocacy work. Uh, part of that is 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 informing and educating people on. On, on homelessness and and how it sort of links to everything else in society both at a at, a, at an institutional level but also at a at a personal level 
Then um, we have a, a level called sort of building and activating communities. And again, that's what with, with Under One Sky Durham, you, you've now started getting the ball rolling in a new community, right? And yeah. with time, we'll get more students involved, might get people who live in Durham involved and local businesses. And so it's really about giving people and organizations an opportunity to, to engage with the issue. Um, and the third level that we have, that we sort of work on is, is what we call changing lives. And that's changing the lives of those we've set out to support. How would you do that? So in so so this is really a spectrum. Um, and in some cases, we've managed to help someone off the street, you know, out of our own accord. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it's, it's working with another organization that is, you know, set up to do that. Um, but I think really actually what's very, what's very important in your question is, I think a lot of people, when they look at what we're doing in action, it'll look like someone getting a sandwich or a cup of coffee. But what is a lot less understood and appreciated is what happens when you connect with another person, especially when you connect with a person who's socially isolated. There's a lot of, um, very important mental health, uh, positive effects, same with regards to physical health. And I think everyone agrees that we don't like to see people on the streets and we'd want them to be somewhere else. We want to find a solution. And generally in society, I think we're very solution focused. Okay. What's the next step? Then yes, if you're dealing, when you're dealing with people who are highly traumatized and who've in many ways lost faith in society, there's a sort of a, a three-step process. One is you need to build safety or safe space for these people. Then you need to build connection. And then after that, you can start looking at purpose. And so the, the work that we do on the streets, as I see it is, we're sort of trying to repair the fabric that's been torn apart in the journey towards the streets. And if we can help mend that, then we're getting our, our friends on the streets, as we call them, ready for the the purpose bit yeah why can't the purpose bit come first as in what stops the purpose being you know people have desires people have preferences on the street Mm -hmm. um well and they can get purpose from that so why can't they just jump straight to that the, the the thing is when you have someone who who's um for example almost a third of of people on the street say they say it's a direct it's directly linked to childhood trauma whether that's you know physical or psychological or sexual um bullying things like that when something is broken inside you there needs to be a process of can you know actually feeling safe and feeling in a place to start moving on with your life we can't just you know say to people okay because I think the best way of almost describing is where did, where did the person come from? The person might have come from a situation where they had a job and they lived in a flat. Mm. That's usually where we see the solution being right. But something broke in that, and that's why they ended up on the streets. So thinking that you can just push people back up where they came from, and that's going to work, is 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 just it does make sense. Right? Yeah, for sure. So. You know, there's a lots of there's lots of homeless charities out there, um, big and small. Like Crisis is one of the big ones in the UK. Um, 
I mean, Under One Sky isn't that big, um, although there's been massive increase in the numbers um, of volunteers, etc. Um, but I suppose like thinking about the motivation behind the charity, and we've touched on it a little bit, what sets Under One Sky apart from the other ones? I think I think where we are now, and as you say, Oli, we're still a very small organization. Um, I think that relate that, that relationship piece that that's our starting point because I see some other organizations where it feels that it's the it's the filling of a physical need that's the starting point. Um, so actually saying, well, let's focus on 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 building the trust and the connection that can that means we can move people on and we're, we're a very pragmatic organization so if we meet a person and they have a and we can see a potential solution and they're ready for that then we try to offer that so often we've you know reconnected someone with family by buying a train ticket or plane ticket uh, like just two weeks ago had- so it doesn't just stop on the street it, it 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 doesn't stop on the street. I mean, some of our volunteers have also go has gone to great lengths helping a specific homeless friend when they've encountered a very difficult situation. So it's not, you know, we're not just going out there and doing what we're doing and then we're going home. We're really trying mm-hmm. to uh, be super pragmatic and very focused on the individual uh, and having, you know, just going that extra mile. Yeah, if I could just you know, jump in as well, I think the pragmatic aspect was what kind of attracted me towards Under One Sky. As you said earlier, there are lots of organisations out there, but they see it more as, oh, how many people can we reach being efficient, being productive? Whereas Mikel has given me the flexibility to kind of do what I see fit and it's very circumstantial. Mm. So for example, one of our friends um, a few weeks ago, you know, his he was telling about his self-confidence and how his self-confidence was very low and um and so i i saw there was a deal for the barbers new barbers that has opened up one quid yeah big shout out to king colby um yeah and i took him for a haircut and he wouldn't stop smiling the whole walk back and um and then we got back and his girlfriend saw him and um and she was so excited you know fresh uh skin fade and yeah and i think like seeing because i was with you and that happened and it wasn't a haircut but i know the guys you're talking about and you know when you see them interact like that you you very quickly forget their state of homelessness i mean we've we've talked about it before it's like it's weird that we characterize people by what they lack and that's how that's how we define them um but then when you take that out them out of that context and you kind of humanize the context like haircuts a great example it's so simple um but it had such an impact and you just view those people very differently and that 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 says a lot about us and it says a lot about our misconceptions um and this real need to change the narrative i mean ollie i think it's it's so it's so spot on because the thing is one day you're not homeless the next day you're homeless we had mm. we, we we had someone during covid who's a dear friend of ours now pops he's kind of a an under one sky legend but, <laughs> but uh, as you know covid was was getting closer he'd fallen on hard times he was he was working and a friend had offered him that he could stay in his caravan mm. now he comes back home from work one day and the caravan's gone in that moment he becomes homeless mm. is he any different 
Is he any different than the day before? No. What's different is how we suddenly how we suddenly look at that person, right? Mm. So as you say, it's it's really us that needs to wake up because sure. um and and that sort of takes it back to well, what's the root causes of homelessness? You know, it's things like you know, childhood trauma, as I mentioned, mental health. We're seeing refugees, 30% of people of people who leave foster care end up homeless in some shape or form. And all those um avenues or channels, if we talk about it, they also have charities helping people. And anyone in society that you ask is going to say child abuse is wrong. Well, if child abuse is wrong, and that's the cause of 30 people being on the street, abuse in the in the general sort of wide sense, right? Then how can we look at someone on the streets and say that person just needs to get up and find a job? Yeah. And actually, we, we, we the root cause of what delivered this uh, outcome, we can all agree was wrong. And that's the whole reason why we're, we're talking each week to different people. Um, it's for that exact reason where we start each week by recognizing that it's a story for each person. Like it's a unique story. It's not the same story. Um, and it's a long story, like from childhood to, well, where they are at now. Um, I think also one thing that you mentioned um, before this, um, putting the curtain back a little bit, is that actually Under One Sky, it wants to help as many people as possible. But the real thinking behind Under One Sky is about human connection. Um, and, you know, if people hear these podcasts and, you know, smile at a homeless person, buy them something, engage them, talk to them, that's great. But we're also recognizing that actually, if we're engaging with our friends and, you know, establishing and recognizing the importance of that human connection beyond homelessness to, to those issues of, of trauma, of breakdown of the family, etc. Like, we need to address those things as well as homelessness. Um, I thought it was a really astute thing that I don't think many other charities really focus upon. The good thing about the walks is that we're, we're not just chucking supplies from two meters away. You know, we sit down with them, we make them their tea and coffee and we ask them how they are. And that is the, the connection that we're building. And of course, we like to meet as many people as we can, but people value so much more, you know, actually showing them attention, yeah. not just uh, trying to ignore them on the street, avoiding eye contact. Uh, and just that general chit chat could actually change their day. Can I ask a question about, you know, we talk about changing the narrative, but what does that look like? Because we recognize that we probably don't approach the issue of homelessness well, but within that, we've got to recognize that because of who we are and because of how we're wired, there's elements of awkwardness, of misunderstanding, purely because we're not um, engaging it on a, on a regular basis. So, so how do we change the narrative in a way that isn't oppressive or kind of overwhelming, but accounts for the reality of where we're at? I think I, I think a key part in this is to um, is to talk about the root causes of of what leads to homelessness and start start focusing on that because the thing is, when when you say the word homeless, it 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 immediately becomes a them and us thing, the haves and the have-nots, right? And, yeah. And Binaries. Just to give you a, a, a quick anecdote, I was contacted by someone who used to be uh, be on the streets. She hasn't been for 10 years. Um, she said to me, even to this day, I still bear that heavy load, that stigma of having been, having been classed as homeless. 
and she's 10 years out of it. So we really need to appreciate how um, how hard-hitting words can be. And so part of changing this, this narrative is also to change the language that we use. How do we do that in a way that's not clunky or like words carry meaning words yeah. are, are universal everyone uses words to denote well, I, I think and and i agree that it How is do we clunky do that and, and what we use is still clunky we, we we call those that we work with homeless friends who in some way try to bring in the fact that it's a human mm. being and it's uh, and there's a there's a positive relationship going on there i, I still don't like it so it, it is quite tricky mm. if people want to say something more generic I would say a person affected by homelessness because it brings the homeless person into the into the picture mm. sorry the person into the picture and it does reveal the fact that this is a situation that person finds themselves in but then i think it's about storytelling and it's about sharing those stories so people actually start understanding what's led to this situation because the more we hear those stories i think the more we see ourselves in those stories and i think that's where Sometimes when we have a, a volunteer who comes back and they've had a, an, an emotional moment, it might be because the person they've spoken to has almost told a story that's a mirror to them. And um, it's that kind of thing that we need to, to, to bring in. And then, of course, the more people we can get involved in this work, the better. The way I see the work that we do, I kind of see it as a, as a heart opening experience. And to be honest with you, if we can crack that heart open a little bit some, so that a bit of light comes in, I don't really care if that person comes back to do more volunteering for people in the streets or they go and do volunteering in the local football club or they just go back home and they become a better friend, a better partner, a better parent, because then these things will all ripple out. Do you feel when you're doing the work that you're more engaged and connected to the community, both of you? Yeah, for sure. Um, especially, well, because I used to live in London, you know, going to Waterloo and then seeing my friends on the street. And then whenever I'd go back there, you know, I would say hi to them, ask if they need anything from the, um, from the shops. And it made me feel like, you know, I'm, this is this is who I am, this is part of where I live. Um, and now Durham as well, like, I feel like I'm integrating more into the Durham community, outreaching to local organizations, not just limited to student organizations as well. And now I have a stake in my community. Uh, but Mikhail, what about you? I mean, I, I, um, I, I, I totally share that sentiment. I, I, I feel that when you do this work, you really feel that you become part of creating society or evolving society, you become part of this, the, you, you sort of become one of the writers that writes the chapter of, of what goes on in society. And, and, and that's a very, that's actually a really empowering feeling um, to suddenly feel that you're, you're sort of almost like inside the, inside the dynamic, because I think a lot of people in their daily lives, I sort of liken it a bit to, you know, you're just skating, skating across the surface you're at home, you take public transport into work, you try to get as little interference as possible on your journey. Hopefully no one's annoying, hopefully no one's no one's loud. 
then you spend some time in an office building and then you go then you hopefully skate problem free back again and it's like when are you ever when are you ever interacting with society in that and you know if we have a shared responsibility <clears throat> for everyone and we can't just rely on on you know taxes and, and public services to to fix society we we have to play a part as well right and so um, i think this is another thing that i just wanted to bring in you know about this changing the narrative piece which i think also puts some some spotlight on on how we talk about homelessness obviously diversity and inclusion is big everywhere right um <laughs> universities organizations companies etc cetera, etc cetera. When we think about people who are on the streets, they're, they're probably the most ostracized in society. Yet we haven't really started talking about how do we speak about how do we speak about them, right? Because when it comes to race, gender, sexual preference, preference, and so on, you know, we are really moving forward in something that's being talked about. But yet um, there's this group of people who where it's it's it feels like it's a different dynamic but but really it shouldn't be and linking back to your story before about a woman who was homeless 10 years ago that's a massive part of who she was um rightly or wrongly but there's got to be a way in which she mm. can articulate that in a way that isn't oppressive or demeaning and that makes her feel like she's second rate because that's just not fair because as we talked we said this in the beginning that homelessness and the issues surrounding it are dynamic and they're complex that they aren't, a lot of the time, they're not in your control. Um, there's huge volatility that leads to homelessness. The cost of living crisis is obvious in that part. Um, I don't know the stats, Mikhail, you might, but there's huge numbers in where I think charities are talking about. There's the potential for homelessness is huge at the moment. Um, do, you know, do you know any stats around that? Well, we, we've just, uh, the mayor's office in London has just released some numbers yesterday, actually. Oh, really? Perfect. Shows over the last, um six months uh street homelessness has gone up by almost uh 25 percent it's yeah. gone up by 25 so, and that's in line with what's been happening politically and and of course you know we're this is kind of at the early stage of the cost of living crisis right we all know it's going to get a lot worse so um yeah i think because just wrapping it all up in that sense and moving on to something else in a second but with the walks particularly i think the walks really encapsulate both those things both in terms of being involved within community, talking with people who are almost neglected by a community and bring them back into community. Um, but also like from a selfish point of view, re rethinking your own misconceptions and actually witnessing firsthand people's worth and value and actually engaging with them as people. You very, as I said before, you very quickly forget this homeless state. Um, and it is the walks in itself are really powerful. So, I mean, if you're in London, if you're in, in Durham, I think we got some stuff in Brighton. Check us out because it'd be great to get you on a walk and for you to really just see this firsthand. Um, because that's really the way that you'll change your your thinking around this. Um, moving on to the second part, um, talking about you know the background of Under One Sky, Mikhail, you you talked a little bit about um, it wasn't meant to be this way almost the way you describe it is a bit like a hobby a hobby turned into a startup on speed yeah. um which is quite a quite a way to describe it you know what was the story how did it how was under one sky born so um 
Honor One Sky really uh, has been was in the making before before it became Under One Sky. Um, I've always enjoyed speaking to people who are on the streets, and and actually I've always thought it was such a huge shame that we as humanity doesn't spend more time talking to each other, because um, it's just every you know everyone's got a whole life story to share, right? And what I what I found was that uh, often the the people who were on the street were actually the ones who were open to having a conversation. So I've always you know spoken to people who found themselves in the street. But then around 2010 2011, I, I in a two year period, I looked after two uh, people who were homeless, uh, two men, uh, roughly one year each, uh, and that was. I guess sort of my baptism of fire into into uh, this field because I encountered some of the roadblocks that they were facing in moving forward, like with how the system works and everything else, but of course also the internal roadblocks and the challenges they had. In that, what was the thing that shocked you the most? Maybe not shocked isn't the right word, but maybe kind of prodded you and made you actually confront your own thinking on it life is just much more chaotic you never know what's going to happen everything that you have to do day to day to make your life come together is just so many times more difficult what do you mean by that what, what's uh, the chaos you know um okay you, you you go to sleep you wake up you're soaked you need to find a place to dry uh how do you get a shower uh where do you get your breakfast you might have to walk super far. Then you need to find a toilet somewhere. The first five places you try, you get stopped at the door, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know. The so, simple things are just like so much more difficult. Yeah, exactly. They Chaotic. So then, um, and then, you know, how do you navigate the system when you don't have a phone or uh you might not actually be sort of digitally skilled to navigate, uh, even if you have a smartphone. So all these, you know, all these things that people come up against and where you don't, you might not have someone that you can just call and talk to who can help you work through some of those things. So um, that, that's partly what I mean by it. I mean, also, I, one of the people that I supported he then adopt. He saw he saw a dog being mistreated on the streets by someone else. He adopted that dog. Then uh, he ended up having a really bad uh, inflammation in his leg, so we had to take him to hospital. For quite a while, we thought he was going to lose his leg. At the same time, I mean, I was then I then had to, had to find a solution for that dog, right? Mm. Because it's, sim it's such a simple thing, but so difficult exactly so it it really it it very quickly becomes complex to do things that we um just think about as, as normal things that are part of doing doing our daily lives right and so how did that time with those guys taking those guys in spur you on to do what you do now i think what was really healthy about that was that um it definitely meant that I have not walked into this wanting to kind of be a glory hunter, if you want to put it that way. Sure. I'm very yeah, that's helpful. conscious about all the limitations in the many different aspects. 
I'm very conscious about the time that uh, the, th the, the thing that you might have to help people, you know, nine times they fall and then they, they, they get up on the 10th time and you might not be the one who do that 10th time. So it, it really, um, I think it made me walk into this with, with my eyes wide open and also knowing that I know nothing about this. Yeah. Right. Because I'm I I didn't grow up in this field. My my background is in a completely different field. Yeah. And so you you spoke to so you've told me a story before. So you spoke to your your guy your your business partner. How did that go? Yeah. So I mean he he he's uh, very similar in that he normally likes to engage and interact on the streets and so on and. Um, we'd set up a, a film production company and we were developing a couple of scripts and film scripts can take a long time to uh, develop. Um, and at the same time, I'd sort of dabbled around with social media. That's when Facebook was still a new thing. <laughs> we managed to, to build actually quite a, quite a decent following given that we weren't really doing anything. Um, and um, then I just said to him, why don't we, why don't we go out and sort of walk the talk and, support some people on the streets this christmas uh to uh you know to to really kind of show our colors and to stand by our words and and then i just asked to basically put out on facebook if anyone wanted to join us and uh, a few people said they wanted to come along and then some people wanted to donate a bit of a bit of cash and we used that to buy some christmas presents and how did that spiral i mean so that was like a couple of years before COVID and then COVID hit and I was like, right, my word. Yeah. Now, so, so that, so that was all the way back in 2012. Oh, right. Okay. And so that's, that's, only, that's a decade ago. Yeah. And there, there was no ambition for under one sky. I mean, no. we, as, I, as I mentioned previously, we, we shared the stories of the people who on, who, who we met uh, and what happened was, a lot of my friends just came in and said, I really want to be part of this next year. And that's been, you know, then we did it next year. We were twice as many people. We raised twice as much funding. And so we just kind of grew by 100% every year almost. Um, and then when we got to 2019, we had a little bit of PR and stuff. And I, I, I felt, okay, maybe there's something more in this. And I then asked a few volunteers who had been very involved whether they wanted to be part of a steering team so we could meet up and bring some more skills and capabilities in and talk about how we should, what the future should look like. And we'd had one meeting, I think, in January 2020. And then um, we all know what happened when we got towards uh, March 2020. Yep. Um, my word that's a long time feels a long long time ago yeah so so COVID struck COVID struck what happened and the way we'd been operating previously was we'd raise some money in November December we'd run some events we'd spend all the money so there'd be zero left and then we'd all pack up and come back next year so when uh when when COVID started becoming a reality one of the one of the guys been in the steering team He's, he just said, should we just go out and have a look at what's happening out there? Uh, and then Ben, Brian and myself went out to, to do a walk from Waterloo up towards sort of Charing Cross and, and so on and so on. And two things became very apparent. One was the entire 
charity infrastructure that these people were relying on had completely disappeared. And they do, they didn't know why. They're just like, well, these guys usually stand there on a Tuesday evening and they weren't there yesterday. They didn't understand why no one was coming out of the train stations. Um, so no one had told them? You know, it. I, I think... It, that's That's really telling in itself. I mean, like, it's almost like you can then characterize those on the street as being, I mean, they're forgotten. Like, by definition, they've been forgotten. No one's thought it's important to tell, oh, by the way, there's this big pandemic and everyone's staying inside. That, that, that's that's, that's crazy. Like. Yeah, because the, the thing is, they were the only ones out. Like, everyone else was in, right? We, yeah. When we went out to do that walk, we had no idea what the virus was. We looked like so we looked like people from Ghostbusters <laughs> out there. Like, we... And so... Yeah, so so they didn't know what was going on. So there was kind of a mixture of frustration, fear, anger, because you know you just you, you don't know what's happening. But at the same time, you know we met people who hadn't had food for almost a week, so people were desperate. Um, the other thing that we realized doing that walk was fifty percent of the people that we met that on that walk had become homeless that week. They were people who many of them had never been homeless before and at a time when everything was shut down right so for them it was really desperate measures and there's some sad stories about those people of course the government did this everyone in scheme where they tried to get um loads of of people uh, on the streets in and they did manage to get many in i think where there was a major problem was the lists that they have were of people who were, who were homeless before the pandemic hit. And suddenly you had this entirely new uh, group of people who ended up on the streets who no one knew about. And we, yeah, we've, we've seen some really bad situations with some of those people. Do you mind sharing an example in that sense? Without getting into too much detail. There, there's one, um, that's many sad stories, but one of them is we met this uh, sort of, I think, middle-aged Italian woman, and she just lost her job, and we had a conversation with her the first day, and she just, I think she, she it was almost like it, it hadn't hit her yet that there was nowhere else to go, so whenever our teams were out, we'd see her every day, and she'd sit at a bus stop pretending to wait for the bus and pretending to be on the phone every day. Oh. So she didn't get anything like she, she she didn't engage. And for every every sort of day and every week, you just saw her deteriorating more and more. So she chose to seem like an active part of society to avoid the shame of, yeah, that, quote unquote, being homeless. That's what it seemed like. I mean, we, we saw sad. other people who were, you know, the first time we met them just lost their job. Um, and then fast forward uh, some weeks and they were lying on the ground, totally knocked out by spice because of, I mean, and, and that's not, addiction is a, co is a way of trying to cope with pain, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's always by the media, by misconception, it's, it's turned from a thing of coping to like the origin of the whole story exactly and and that's you know when we talk about changing the narrative something that needs serious as a part of it yeah but so that's just a couple of examples of you know um yeah how it, it just really broke down and it's almost like there were two stories there was there was a story of that 
hotel project everyone in and then there was a story of what was going on on the streets and on the on the busiest days we would serve about 600 people wow um and you know we're we're not a big we, you know we were a tiny organization how many volunteers did you have at this point so at the very beginning it was super tricky because many of our volunteers couldn't go out either hmm. either because of public transport or because people lived with families on flat shares where people would say you can't you know you can't leave the house uh, yeah. we had situations where landlords were telling tenants off for leaving the house and then they couldn't volunteer anymore so at the beginning we had a, a small skeleton team who really, uh, I mean, they would sort of work from 5, 6 p.m. to past midnight to serve all those people. So everyone was running really low on their batteries. And what kind of things would you give out? I mean, we actually haven't touched on that. Like, So um, at the beginning, it was very much around food, food and drink, primarily making sure that people actually had what they needed, um, toiletries, um, things like that. Again, it was very difficult to get supplies at that time because you're competing against hospitals and exactly yeah, like it's crazy. Um, so, but slowly things got better and we got some corporate connections and then you started having co companies donating big loads of stuff. Um, what happened later on in the sort of pandemic months was some of the charities that had disappeared started coming out again, um, and then suddenly food was actually in some cases in abundance. So then we changed and started doing other things like socks and underwear and, and other things that were in, in need. And I think going back to what we talked about with what signifies how we operate, it's all about being pragmatic. You know, if someone's doing it, why do you, why would you want to do the same? You know, it's, it, it, this is about serving a, serving a need. It's not about putting a stick yeah. on the ground. Yeah. And at one point you said you got quite a bit of media exposure with The Guardian. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So it was, it was really very ironic because leading up to that moment, we in the right at the beginning after that first walk, we'd, uh, we contacted Sadiq Khan, we contacted Boris Johnson. We're really just trying to get attention and say, listen, you might not be aware that there's going to be a huge group of people who've never been homeless before who's now going to be on the streets. Uh, we've got no cut through whatever whatsoever um, and then we also tried to get the media's attention nothing really happened but then we were very lucky that um, Amelia Gentleman from the Guardian got in touch with her uh, and she then went out for a walk with us and she wanted to tell the story of all the people in hospitality who'd lost their jobs overnight and she wrote that article and um I didn't realize that it had been published, but suddenly my phone just it just went crazy. All <laughs> lights flat, all lights flashing, and that article, as far as I believe, was the most read article in the Guardian for about twenty four hours. Wow! She had thirteen thousand times on the Guardian website, um, and then suddenly we had six hundred new volunteers in two days, quite a lot of private funding, and then loads of media companies wanted to join us so it was a blessing we needed that to to move on but it was also a massive challenge because we didn't yeah. have the infrastructure to deal with these things i mean i i had to type 600 people into my phone 
<laughs> WhatsApp groups. Um, right, <laughs> that's very very impractical. And, and the other thing was, you know, we had a whole bunch of new volunteers on the streets that I didn't know very well, trying to do a piece of work in an emergency situation, and and at the same time you had a media crew, a TV crew, or a newspaper, whatever. So that exposure was great, but, but it also almost like added a challenge, but the way we approached it was you can follow us. We will help you try to find people to speak to, but we're out here to do a job. We're not mm. out here to be on TV or to yeah. be on a radio show. I think like just, and Ross will say the same as me, but I, I, looking at what you do and how you lead the team and, and your whole mantra about leading under one sky, it's very obvious that there's nothing in terms of selfish ambition or personal gain in this. Um, and that kind of speaks to kind of a genuine heart for these guys, um, which is really cool to see. And so since since then, what's happened? How many meals, you know, meals or walks have you done? Well, I can give you a pretty good sense of how many people we've served. Uh, okay, across the that's helpful. So let's do that. To, 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 to give you a, a view of how things have changed, from 2012 to 19, so the, that pre-COVID decade, if you want to call yeah. it that, we, we served around 4,000 people. And in the last two years, we've served about 120,000. So, um, and of course, it's not 120,000. That's unreal. Because a lot of people, you know, we serve over and over, but it's basically sure. 120,000 interactions. Wow, 120,000, that's in that's an incredible thing. Yeah, that's so not, that's, that's, yeah, that's huge growth. It, and, and I think that's where you then start looking at, you know, the power of community and the power of volunteers, because how many steps, how many minutes, how many conversations, you know, um, how many public uh, train rides to get to those events mm. or the people who pack have packed more than two, two and a half million units of different supplies so it, it really does add up but i think you know to, to 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 not kind of go off on a tangent on numbers to take it back to what we spoke about before most of those hundred and twenty thousands have all been interactions not transactions yeah and that's the heart of what we do and it's also a reality that this isn't simply a covid project like this has continued through the loyalty of those people to invest, I mean, money and time um, to actually sustain it to what it is now. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think sometimes in life, some something knocks you on the head. And if you don't wake up, a bigger hammer is going to arrive with the same message and knock you over the head again. Yeah. And I guess with this, it was really, okay, th don't turn back to what you were before. You have a role to play with this. And um, yeah, I mean, now we're looking at, you know, bigger projects. And by that, I mean projects that's going to have a longer term impact because what we want to do is change lives. Mm. Our mission is to end homelessness. I'd love to be in a situation where Under One Sky becomes an organization that is preventative rather than fixing after the event. Um, but sure. going into that is, is probably for another, it's probably for another podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll get there at some point, but it's helpful to kind of lay the groundwork at the moment. Um, and so talking a little bit about the walks, I mean, 2012 to, I mean, 10 years, 2012 to 2022, like, 
have the walks changed in that sense at all? So the the walks in terms of the format hasn't actually um, changed that much, to be honest with you. We do the same thing. And the reason we walk around is because we want to connect with people. And we believe the best way to connect with someone is to uh, meet them where they're most comfortable, even if that's a very uncomfortable place. I think what has changed is because now we have the continuity. Now we can build relationships. Before we might meet someone twice in a winter and then we'd see them again next year. And by building that continuity, we get back to that dynamic of safety, connection, purpose. And so we start being having enough face time to, um, you know, to, to, to build those relationships. The other thing that we have because we, we can do because we have the continuity is that we sort of run an on-demand service. So uh, sometimes we get special requests uh, and we will then, you know, our packers will pack that and we then try to fulfill that request the next time we're out. And that can be, you know, um, very practical stuff like I need boots, I need a winter coat, but it can also be something super personal. So recently we had uh, someone we know well called Anne, her mother had sadly passed away. And she wanted to wear a black dress and black shoes and so on for her mother's mother's mm -hmm. funeral. And it's one of those situations where you think, well, regardless of what situation someone is in, they really deserve to say goodbye to their mother or their father in the in a dignified way. Exactly. And so for her, we we managed to to to, to get her what she needed for that. I mean, we also have, you know, a few months ago we had someone who was requesting a pair of speedos because he likes to swim and you know what you think about it, like, okay someone is on the streets wants speedos but why shouldn't that person be able yeah. to swim you know because that's what we got back to before everyone's yeah. as a history everyone has interests and hobbies and so of course this this man should should be able to go to a, a pool and have a swim yeah and I've, I've i've had the same experience in the sense that you know, with people who have hobbies, as I said before, you you see them in a completely different light because you see that actually you have hobbies like I have hobbies. Yeah. Um, there's a woman in in Durham, um, the guy, the the girlfriend of the guy Ross was talking about with a haircut, and she loves to read. Like she's an avid reader. She'll read a book in a day, um, and it was just like it just massively to me. It, wrongly, it shocked me, mm -hmm. and it, I had to really check myself. Um, about it because I was like man um, and you're right like why does she not get the ability to read why does that guy not get the ability to swim mm. they have preferences like me Ross you know, why are you here like we talked about Under One Sky in London um, but I said in the introduction about this new initiative student initiative in Durham um, and you were co-founder in that and being big and creating the vision and stuff like that so can you tell us a bit about under One Sky Durham, how it came to be, thinking behind it? There were very few uh, homeless people in Durham that I saw, um, and I hadn't really interacted with people on the street that much. I went at university, I was settling in, um, and then it occurred to me, you know, why can't I just do the same thing that Under One Sky do back in London? Um, and, I mean, again, this pragmatic thing, I texted Mikel and uh, Kirsten, the head of the Waterloo team, were happy to send me a bunch of supplies. And so then 
Um, after a while, you joined us, and Gilly, who's in charge of fundraising, also joined us on walks. And then I thought to myself, you know, why can't we turn this into a kind of a society or organization with the university? That way we can get a bit more verified. And, but the main challenge was that we, you know, Durham is it tiny. Is, for the people um, who don't know Durham, like I want to emphasize that it is tiny. To see anyone homeless in Durham is quite shocking. Um, so the real light bulb moment was this change in the narrative idea. And you look at all these students doing humanities who can write and understand things in an analytical way and approach things and engage with difficult discussions like poverty and homelessness being this trickle-down effect of poverty. We have so many different platforms using the university to raise money, to share our message. And I thought it was a bit of a no-brainer. It's just mm. someone had to start it. There we go. And you know, that's that's when we had the uh, the first yeah. Zoom call. Um and we started building the team and now we've got, you know, a team of five people. Um and it's growing. You know, we've been now having a meeting with more volunteers that want to help with the publication side of things. Um we're gonna be joining in fundraisers with the the Durham University fashion show, the biggest student fashion show. They raised two hundred thousand last year. Something crazy. Yeah, That's Durham for you. Silly place. Um, of course, this podcast, you know, we have the PAL TV to make like a small documentary about what we're doing um, and tons of different student magazines and student newspapers. And it's only going to get bigger. And so this is why I think with such a big team, there is a lot of room for expansion, a lot of scope, because we can, you know, bring this model yeah. to other universities, um, perhaps starting with the Northeast and really try and uh, encourage other people to take a stake in their community, Newcastle, Northumbria, uh, it was Teesside, you know. So the world is really our oyster. For sure. And I think one of the things that's exciting, as you said, is that ability to tap into the students in Durham. Um, I mean, students in universities like this place, but also students around the country, they're going to be moving from this place and taking it, taking what they've learned to other parts of the country, be it London or, you know, internationally even. Um, and if we can kind of change thinking in Durham in a particular place, in a particular context, in a way that will be able to translate to another context, that'd be awesome. Um, so we're, we're talking about kind of getting people on walks. At the moment, we've got about 40 volunteers in Durham, which which is nothing in comparison to what you've got, Mikel, but um, it's exciting. I think with students, we have a lot of, of like time on our hands, mm -hmm. but we don't know what to do with it. And so when we provide that opportunity for someone, we really put it on a plate and just say, all you need to do is show up at 5 p.m. outside the student union and just bring yourself. You know, then you make it a lot easier for people to volunteer. And then on the walks, we can talk about the things we've been talking about in this podcast and you know, telling them stories about our friends street connected friends back in London or in Durham and then they can go tell their friends and because Durham is so small and students you know talk to each other all the time you know we spread this message very easily and already our Instagram page has over 100 followers and we started about a quick. month ago and the, the joy um, of it is that it's as you said it's very it's, pragmatic that's what we, we were looking back in freshers Ross lived on the floor below me in college and we were talking about actually there's not much in Durham where there's something practical um, and so I was kind of thinking about that and this is I was kind of born from this really 
is thinking. Um, with it also, I mean, just, uh, it, it, it's so e it just shows how easy it is to bring something into life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be super complicated to get things going. And, and the, the, the story that, um, you know, you, you asked me before, Ollie, around how did it start? Well, it started out of an accident or a good intention. And then, you know, things happen and you just run with it. So what you've started in Durham, in my mind, could, you know, go in many different directions. Mm. It could be a completely new, that could be the third chapter of Under One Sky. Like, who knows? So it's just this thing about, do, get you know, doing stuff in life instead of just thinking about it back home in your room, right? Yeah. Be, and that's what we're talking about at the beginning of the podcast, being active member of society. Mm. And it actually takes something to be active. You can't just sit back and let it come to you. Um, so that's a big mantra of what we're doing in, in Durham. I think the last thing to kind of close out the podcast, um, I think it's been a really great time just to explore some things. I think we've really underpinned what we're all about. Um, but last question, I, I think more personal than anything is like, what surprised you about the work that you've done? I think it's just the power of the simplicity of having people connect with each other. Because um, I mentioned before that one of our focus areas is changing lives. And by that, I don't just mean changing the lives of those who are on the streets. It's also changing the lives of those who, uh, who volunteer. And some of the stories that I've heard back from volunteers are just extremely powerful. Uh, and some people say to me, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and some people are changing their, their careers because of it. So that, I mean, I do really believe that the most the most powerful things are often the simplest ones. We've just made life so compl complicated, we become blind to that. And so for me, I think that's probably the key surprise is just, just that simple power of, of human connection. And the irony is that you could do this every day, right? You don't yeah. need an organization to do this. And so as soon as you've experienced this once or twice in a safe environment, like you're saying, Ross, you know, make it easy for people. Well, then they can go and do that in in whatever uh, path they take in life. And one thing is for sure, they're going to have a much more interesting life by doing that. Mm -hmm. And being more engaged in, yeah. in the world that we live. What about you, Ross? What surprised you? We're going to talk about simplicity, but this is a different aspect of it. But the, our message is really that simple. You know, you treat that person, um, you know, sitting down outside the tube station, how you treat any other stranger on the street. And it's really not a complicated message, regardless of whether their you know, fingernails are dirty or whether they haven't showered in the past week. You know, <laughs> they they mean just as much to me as anyone else in this town. Um, and... So I'm trying to spread that message and the response from Durham, you know, similar to what Mikhail said, the response from volunteers has been great. The amount of people that have said we have freshest fare and people coming up to us asking us, you know, what does Under One Sky do? And they were nodding and being, oh, that's so interesting. Um, and people do want to get involved. I think that's actually something that surprised me as well, is actually people want to get involved. As in, it's, it's an easy thing to get involved with and that's actually something people enjoy doing. People enjoy connecting with other people because that's that's how we're made. Um, I think that's what this work really does, actually brings together humanity. 
And it can sound cliche, it can sound kind of abstract. But in reality, that that is kind of at the heart of what Undersky does, shamelessly. Like it, it is bold in saying that we need human connection, but we can't ignore people. Um, Michael, I actually remember you saying something helpful was like, put this put it into context where if you're a university student or a young professional or, or an old professional that matter, if you're or a husband or a dad or whatever, imagine being in that family, in that context, you're given the clothing, you're giving the food, you're giving everything you needed apart from that human connection and everyone ignored you, didn't even talk to you, didn't look at you. How, you know, that simple realization, how would that make you feel? And that's exactly what Under One Sky does. It's, it's a recognition of that and it confronts that and seeks to actually say, no, we do want to engage with those people. We know that that would hurt and we recognize the importance of human connection. Um, it's yeah, a great I mean, message. That's where the irony comes in with this type of situational work is that I actually think that these challenges that we face as a society where homelessness is one of them is um, that's the hope. Like that's the opportunity to regrow what we've lost because what you're speaking about here is you've lost that sense of um, responsibility to the person next to you. And as, you, as I think you said before, Oli, you know, treat, treat your neighbor like you want to be treated. I mean, it, it's really that simple, right? Mm. But if we can come together around these social challenges, and, and I mean, I usually say social challenges are shared challenges. You can't just rely on a government or another institution to look after that because they're not human beings. They provide some kind of service, but we need we need people to 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 actually make true change happen. If we can use these as opportunities to build that community, then I think we're going to get on the right path. Then we get towards a society that we really want to want to live in, where you suddenly start seeing a reduction in mental health issues and knife crime and this, that, the other because people actually feel they belong. People feel they have a place. Mm. People feel they have hope. Um, and so that's the, the ironic thing is that these challenges, I believe, are the solution to many of the, the sort of the questions that we have right now. And it's a helpful ending point as well. Um, thanks, guys, so much for your honesty and your way in which you're, you're articulating these things and the full work you guys are doing. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast and that, you know, it, something's pricked your ears and you're, you take away something. Um, we kind of hope you enjoy it and that you'll come back for the next episode. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. See you in a bit. Thank you. Thank you, Ollie. Bye. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.